0: Hello, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Romans eight. Today, we're going to be looking at in uh, Romans eight this uh, word, specifically a word that is for our requirements uh, that before the law are fulfilled. It's uh, actually the word means a righteous requirement and uh you know for all of us who have had requirements over our heads throughout our lives it's nice to hear for once that somebody else fulfilled it for us uh and that through Christ in his cross the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us um and and through that there's there's also a responsibility on the believer too which also comes out in this in this word or in this passage so we have um God fulfilling something extremely important for us that only Christ could do. And then from that position, as we, we often talk about, then we're called to, to live in a certain way. And so that's what we'll see after we pray. So let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity to be uh, before his word and to have such an important uh, topic to be, to be learning which is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in convincing us that we are what we are in Christ. So with that let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time and opportunity to hear your word. We thank you that for these this passage especially in Romans which reveals to us an important truth, that we have been justified by the blood of Christ. Uh, It is something that we should never take for granted or become familiar with. We are. uh, Our sins are forgiven. Uh, Through Christ, His work on the cross has justified us and made us righteous. Uh, Through faith in Him, not of works. And so, Father, we thank you for your amazing grace that despite the fact that we don't always live up to what you've called us to, that we know that the requirements uh, before you are fulfilled, not by us, but by Christ, and we receive the benefit. So, Father, uh, we ask that through your spirit that you would enlighten and guide us. In your word, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, and a part of this... Is to live an extremely holy life. Uh, we say, I say, extremely. You know, holiness is absolute. It's, it's, uh, it's not a progressive word. Holiness is heaven itself. It's God uh, and His way, uh, and we're called to that. Every one of us. The reason why we are is because of this position that we've been, uh, attained through Christ, uh, through our faith in Him, through His finished work on the cross. And so uh, therein lies the motivation uh, that in in the writers, Paul does this a a whole lot in his writing, that he tells us who we are and what God has made us to be. They're statements of fact. And then he follows that up with uh, commandments, uh, imperatives or commandments on what it is we're supposed to do. So he's, Paul doesn't just shout at us to go and do this or go and be like this. What Paul does is relate to us what we are in Christ, and then he tells us to go and do. Uh, and so we need motivation. And uh, <clears throat> that's what this doctrine essentially does that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our position in Christ. And, you know, if we were to just go on our track record and, and you know, our performance, I don't see how any of us would be convinced that we are what we are by the grace of God, by what the Word of God tells us that we are. And so we need motivation for uh, total commitment, and the reality, this motivation, is the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> it may seem too simple to say that the motivation is the gospel, but don't forget that the gospel is far more than what you believed at the moment of salvation, uh, because none of us could have really understood every aspect of the gospel at that time. The gospel is the good news. And so in the gospel, the good news are all kinds of doctrines that are about Christ himself, about his work, about his humanity, about his deity, uh, about us, about our sins, about our forgiveness, about our position – and about our certain future, and all of those things are involved in the gospel. Uh, and so, what's terrific about this, well, there's many things that are terrific about it, but what is essentially of, uh, of great importance here is that it's real. Uh, it's if, if false motivation. All of us have had false motivation in the past, or we have tried to do something, tried to quit some habit, tried to add something to our lives that was, say, healthier or something like that. And we failed. And the reason is because our motivation was false. You know, uh, and then when we fail at it, our self-esteem is knocked down and uh, we feel empty, you know, and that's what false motivation always provides is emptiness because we always discover it we discover that it doesn't work and then we feel foolish we feel empty and the problem is that your motivation was not something real we find out that change is really hard and that you know if if you didn't do what was necessary then you didn't want the change all that badly uh, if if the change that you wanted was worth it to you, in other words, your motivation was solid, then you wouldn't mind doing the hard work. But in many cases, our motivation—we find out that our motivation is false, and then we we uh, we don't change. But with God, the Holy Spirit, He convinces us convinces us of exactly who we are in Christ, and this is real, and it's a real eternal. Truth, that we're in Christ. Like I said, in the book of Ephesians, I think Paul says in Christ 15 times. Uh, and and to, he just keeps uh, pounding into our heads of who we are in Christ. And the same is true here in, in the book of Romans. So when the Holy Spirit convinces you of who you really are in Christ, you will therefore desire holiness with all your heart and soul. Because there's no other option. Right? This is what I am in Christ. If I am this new creature, the temple of God, uh, indwelt by God, and, and made righteous, then I don't have a choice. And so that's what we looked at on, on Sunday, that we're obligated. That's the, Paul, the word that Paul uses, Romans eight twelve. that we're obligated to live in the manner by which we were called. So the motivation is the Spirit's witness of the gospel in which he convinces you of who you are in Christ. And I I mean here the gospel as it refers to all the good news, Um, not just your moment of faith in Christ at salvation, but the truth of what this is, which is the world's, it's really the fairy tale of the world, the only one that's real. You know, this is the one where truly, yes, yeah, Cinderella becomes the princess or whatever whatever is your favorite fairy tale. But the, the truth of it is, is that this is a reality. Christ died on a cross to make men holy. And so the truth of who you are, uh, and there is so much to it, that being fully committed is going to take an understanding that you can't accomplish on your own. And so... Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us of who we are in Christ. There's so much to this. There's, it, it's such an astounding truth. That, and and it's, it's by grace, none of us could have ever earned it or worked for it, that in order to understand it, we need supernatural help. And it is the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to give you that help so that you can comprehend. And, of course, uh, he doesn't give it in a moment. Uh, your brain is not a computer which, you know, you can hook up your USB cable and just download all the information. That's not; gonna, It doesn't work that way. Uh, we, it takes time. It takes learning Scripture by faith. It takes trying to live the Scripture by faith. And over time then you will see the true depth of the gospel and who you re- really are. So you have to be totally convinced of who you are in Christ. And I, and I know we all believe that, and, but there's a process of learning by which we really more and more clearly do we see ourselves as the creatures that we are. These new creatures that are indwelt by God. This was promised to Israel a thousand years ago. And uh, actually more, more than a thousand years ago. And so the believer, therefore because of this astounding truth, the believer is in debt to live life as holy as heaven itself. So just to give us a reminder of, uh, of Sunday, look at Romans 8.12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And So, <clears throat> all of us who are sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. And we're being led uh, in, a, in a positive way. In other words, we're walking according to the Spirit. a main theme in Romans 8 is to walk according to the Spirit. Or we're resisting the Spirit. Still, the Spirit is going to work upon us. God is going to discipline us if necessary for us to see uh, and to make the proper corrections. And thank God for that. Uh, And so what we have is a loving God who is always trying to lead us in the right way. And because of that, in our position in Christ's righteousness uh, that we are uh, given and justified before God, we are obligated, but not to the flesh, that's what we're obligated to before, but to the spirit. So we also realize that our own on our own we fall far, far short of this uh, standard. Romans 8 is certainly one of the most astounding chapters in the Bible. Uh, Romans itself is one of the most extant, outstanding books in the Bible. But in this chapter in Romans 8, Paul relates the exceptional life of the new creation in Christ. And he actually doesn't go into detail about what that life is in chapter 8. That starts in chapter 12, actually, in verse uh, chapters 12 through 15, But what he does is he gives us the quality of life here in chapter 8. It is a spiritual life lived by those who have been made for it. We have been designed by God for it. And so it is what we are to be. The Holy Spirit is again mentioned 17 times in Romans chapter 8. So it is a truly spiritual life that without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for us to do it. And this we have to know, this is to give us hope and confidence. But also to know also to know that to try and attempt this on my own without trust and faith in the Spirit of God, uh and and it's why I come up short. When I do come up short, which you know we don't have to we don't have to all confess our sins here today, that we we know that each of us have come up short and it probably wasn't that long ago, that we have what Paul struggled with. If we look at look at Romans 7.24. Gail, could I have a little more volume, please, than how stinks? Romans 7.20, perfect. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So why does he say wretched man? Well, we know this passage. Paul states that I, I, what I do I don't want to do, and what I, what I don't want to do I do. Uh, he sees in his mind the law of God that he loves, and he sees in the members of his body his failure. Uh, and, you know, I, it is of my personal opinion, and as many others, that this is Paul as a saved man. Paul certainly wasn't sinless as a, as a saved man, and neither is anybody. So he concludes here that he's wretched, but thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God and on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. This is our fallen self, our old self, which still tempts us and we still give into it from time to time. And therefore, all of us would conclude this. is not a Christian who knows anything about themselves and about what they're called to be who wouldn't agree with Paul that they're also wretched people. And wretchedness is slavery. Because why? Well, Paul says, who will set me free? So the body of death is a body of slavery. The Lord announced in his home synagogue in Nazareth, when he quoted the prophet Isaiah, that he had come to set the captives free. He is the only one who could set us free, and he did. We were captive to sin and death in Romans chapter 5 and therefore uh, bound to the Mosaic Law. Jesus Christ set us free from sin and death and fulfilled the law for us, so we're set free from the law as well. And so we have this incredible gift that is given to us that knowing it will change anyone's life. And the more a person knows it, the happier they'll be, the more powerful they'll be. We're... You know, our subject is really the filling of the Spirit. What comes with the filling of the Spirit is a filling of energy, of happiness. It's a, one of the great themes of the New Testament is to be filled with joy. Uh, the same word is used for filling of the Spirit. And, and so, uh, you know, it is knowing this truth deeper than better that uh, enables you to truly be content. And so our fallen self and our old self is slave, and Jesus Christ has set us free. So, as we roll now into Romans chapter eight, our first instance of the Holy Spirit being mentioned is a title. The title He is given is the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans eight one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, anybody who has become convinced of their position in Christ and who desires to live holy, this verse is so comforting because of when we're wretched and we come up short. Uh, you know, I, I don't lose my position in Christ when I sin, nor, nor does anyone. We do not. We don't, there's no condemnation on us. We are justified by Christ, not by our works. And so, by our works, we can't become unjustified. We weren't justified by them in the first place. That we're justified by the work of Christ on the cross. And because of that, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean we don't suffer for our sins. We do. And we know this. Uh, And in fact, if you desire holiness, you suffer even more. Because you want holiness. And so, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, the title here to the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, what is the Spirit going to guide us in, and empower us in? Is that life. The life in Christ Jesus. Not a life of the flesh. Right? We're not obligated to that anymore. So this is what the Spirit is going to empower. This life, if we choose it, we will see results. We, by faith, choose it. There's a lot of competition against this life. Now, In my flesh and in the world, uh, when I get deceived and so on, uh, and I have to fight off that competition. And when I fail, and I do, I thank God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and I can pick up the pieces and move on. I can confess and repent and move on, and you know, with with the suffering that's going to go along with my sin. Uh, but you know, all of us have recovered from thousands and thousands of sins. So, we would want to know what is life in Christ Jesus. It's certainly not the wretched life that Paul just mentioned in Romans 7.25. Then Paul is going to explain that life. That's what is Romans 8. What is the spirit, what is this life in Christ Jesus? In this chapter, Paul doesn't use the phrase be filled with the spirit. Instead, he mentions walk by the spirit. And that's the phrase that he uses. Uh, and technically, it's walk according to the Spirit. So, is there a difference? I don't see much of a difference. Both of these words, uh, to be filled, means to to be full. That's what it means. This word is used for filling up containers that you know are empty and now they're full. So, it's a general word. Walking is also a very general word. Uh, walking means living in the context of the Scripture. And so we have two things here that relate to the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. I'm certain that there's some nuances that would make them a bit different, but both statements are broad in their meaning, and they mean to live a full life. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with that which is good, with joy, with truth, with humility, with Uh, obedience and so on uh, with the fruit of the Spirit, these things fill me. And I walk by them, meaning that I live by them. So fullness is a state to be filled with the Spirit when coupled with other things in the Bible that uh, the Scripture says that we should be full of. makes it hard to imagine that being filled with the Spirit wouldn't also accompany all the rest as if there was no room left. The Spirit has a very real purpose for us. And when the Spirit fills us, He fills us with good things. But these are things that we have to choose as well, right? They're not automatic. In other words, I, even though I, I still have to make the decision to learn truth, I have to make the decision to be humble, to be obedient, to have faith, to trust, to love others, and on and on. And I, I highlight these virtues because they're things that we always have to choose. You now to love someone is is a constant choice. To have truth, to think of the truth is something that I have to constantly choose. It's not just automatic. I have to go into this old brain and find it. You know where is the truth that applies to this situation? As I reach for it, I know that God the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to make that truth understandable, clear, uh, to the point that, you know, I, I also understand. If I, humility is always a choice. But, and so we always have this argument, you know, you're filled with the Spirit first, and then He makes you humble, or are you humble, and then the Spirit helps you be humble. And it's a silly, it's a silly thing to get caught up in because there's no, there's no real um, indicator that there's uh, some kind of uh, ordered procedure in the Scripture. Is We don't see it there. We're just commanded to do it. Right? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with joy. Be filled with truth. Walk by the Spirit. Uh, don't be a fool. <laughs> it's all right there. Don't be a dummy. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Right, so, which, you know, we, we kind of get into this, we want procedures, and I, you know, I don't see any procedures here. It's, it's a matter of what do you love and what do you trust, and to fill yourself with those things. <clears throat> so, the, the process of the Spirit is a process of faith it's constant. I'm constantly looking. To the truth, to the spirit, to uh, and it, you know that's isn't it true that when we we get ourselves in trouble is when we we let our our thoughts kind of run free and we don't really put restrictions on them and then all of a sudden we find we find ourselves thinking of things that we shouldn't and this easily lead to sin and so we have to make decisions we make a lot of them and every decision we make is. Either faith to do God's will or to do something else. So, when it comes to fullness, life in a state of fullness is the prerogative of every born-again believer. And that is because of what Christ has done for us. The gospel, the truth of the good news, provides for us this fullness. We come to really understand, like for instance, Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will will make me know the path of life. David is writing to the Lord. You will make me know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And, And that's always true. Why is it that in his presence there's the fullness of joy? It's because there's no longer a barrier between me and God. Jesus has torn that barrier down. I'm reconciled to him. Uh, there's no longer this sin issue between me and God. I, I'm justified. There's no longer this you know, law issue where I, I violate the law. And you know, God says to me, no, the law is fulfilled in you through Christ. And so now I can actually truly live in the presence of the Lord and have, as David writes beautifully here, in your presence is fullness of joy. And he said, the next line, he says, in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So a life of fullness. It's a phrase that I really like for the filling of the Spirit, at least in this time around when we're looking at it, that it is uh, a life that is filled like every day. Filled with that which is good, which really brings joy and pleasure and purpose, instead of sin and nothingness. Right? It's what sin. Sin is empty nothingness. It just it, it's it's evil. It's wrong. It's hurtful. It's dark. You know all the things that God describes it as, and we don't have to live that way any longer. We were stuck in that as unbelievers, but this is the good news. So uh, now let's move to the next, uh, which really our word that we want to look at today, which is the word requirement. It's dichioma, uh, and this, this word is pretty important, especially in the book of Romans, uh, in that it means a requirement. And so, you know, this is you walk into a law court and the requirement is that you keep the law. So the requirement would be that you haven't broken any laws and that you're actually righteous. And so, right, good luck with that. But this says here that we are and it's by the death of Christ. So. This, this really is Paul is showing us what the new life is. He's bringing in the gospel truth to set up our motivation and to be convinced of this new life. Uh, verse 1 again. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now these lines are incredibly important. What the law couldn't do, why couldn't it do it? It was weak because of us. Not because of God. The law is holy. But it was weak. Weak as it was through the flesh, meaning our flesh. God did. Did what? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. So that, right, this is great purpose here. So that in verse 4, the requirement, that's the, the Greek word that's on the board, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are in the flesh, this would be an unbeliever. Now, there's some issues here, of course, and uh, depending upon you know, what denomination you're from, you might interpret this a bit differently. But uh, the, the key, well, the word that becomes an issue is, again, in verse 4, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Enough. See, that might, and that might is showing us that the verb filled is in a subjunctive. So a subjunctive is, well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. And it depends, you know there's different kinds of subjunctives, but we'll just we won't get too technical with it. We'll just leave it there as it is that it might be fulfilled. Now if that's the case, then what Paul would be saying here is, when I'm walking by the Spirit, I fulfilled the law the requirement of the law is fulfilled in me. When I don't walk by the Spirit, it's not fulfilled in me. And there's a whole camp of theologians who say, no, that's wrong. This is judicial. Now, what judicial means is you're pronounced holy, you're pronounced that you've fulfilled the law, that the righteous requirement of is fulfilled in you. And, and then, so you are of the type that walks according to the Spirit. So, in other words, what Paul is saying here is that... He's talking about new creature. What does new creature do? New creature walks by the Spirit. That's its birthright, his or her. I'm I'm this is what I'm made for. So is Paul saying that, or is he actually talking about us behaving ourselves? And it depends. It depends on where you where you would put your uh I guess your your doctrinal hat on in in this case. But Let's look at it a little bit more in Romans, and then hopefully it will clear us up. First off, uh, dichioma is used in chapter 1. Go to Romans one thirty-two. And this passage is definitely about the unbeliever. Well, it's really about the unbelieving world. And the unbelieving world has messed up the world. And I mean whose fault is it that all this all things have gone wrong? It is certainly not God's. So again, the word means righteousness or righteous requirement, and Paul uses it here in Romans one for the failure of mankind and the failure of his societies that have been destroyed by sin, immorality, greed, lust, etc. So look at verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, so see the, there's the word, ordinance, dikaioma, of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so this is a description of the world. Fallen world. And interestingly, God says of them that they know the righteous requirement, But they don't practice it. And in fact, they encourage others not to practice it. So that's the world. And then God gives Israel a law. Now, in the law, you know, think of the people in Israel who, you know, and this is some tough, some really hard language here in Romans 1 in that uh, they're, they're sexual deviants, they're greedy, they're lustful. But let's say you're... You know you're in Israel with Moses, uh, you're not in Israel yet, but you're at Sinai and you hear the law. and you say, well, you know, I'm not all that greedy. i don't I don't have a sexual deviant uh, I'm not a sexual deviant. Uh, you know I'm a monogamous say you know and 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 I haven't stolen from anyone. I haven't murdered. And so, you, you know, with a list like this, you would say, well, I don't really fit into that list. It's a pretty harsh list. But when you're given 613 commands, I mean, everybody's a violator. Some are worse than others. Some are more deviant than others. But the righteous requirement of the law is violated by every one of them. So to be clear, it's not the requirement of governments or the requirement of people, but the requirement of God. And this requirement must be fulfilled in us. Which, again, if we take uh, this passage with the subjunctive, it's fulfilled in us when we walk by the Spirit, not fulfilled in us when we don't walk by the Spirit, or is it always fulfilled in us? And, you know, as I said, this is argued. This is argued by various theologians and we're all going to we have to come to our own conclusion. I I don't want to say, well, look, which I did this on Sunday, because my opinion is we're all made to walk by the spirit. We've all fulfilled the requirement of the law, which that statement, we've all fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law is absolutely true. I'll show it to you right now. Uh, But the. You know, the interpretation of Romans 8, 4, that we're all designed to walk by the Spirit, not everybody would agree with me on that. Uh, And that's fine. Because one thing I do know is that the new creature in Christ is made for this life, but also we have to choose it. So obviously, we're made to walk by the Spirit. We're made to be spiritual. But we got to make choices. We got to obey. We've got to be humble. All the all of it. We've got to fill our our hearts with truth, if we're going to do it. We have to choose it. So I don't see a, a big conundrum here. But what I what I do I do like very much is to the interpretation of whether I like it. You know, my liking it doesn't matter. Uh, but you know, we're all designed to walk by the Spirit. All believers are. So let's see. Let's see it used. Go to Romans five. Now uh, we're looking at the same word, the one that's on the board, dikaioma. Look at Romans five sixteen. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Now we know this passage. This passage is about Adam. And the fact that Adam condemned us all to sin and death and that Jesus Christ delivered us from that sin and death. So the gift, the gift is Christ, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. So that's Adam's sin. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in, and see the last word there, Is dikaioma, justification. So in Romans 8.4, it's a righteous requirement. In Romans 5.16, it's the actual finished work of Christ. Because of Christ dying for many transgressions, it resulted in justification. And justification for who? For us. This is the good news. All right, this is the gospel. We are justified. All right. So look at Romans five eighteen. So then, as through one transgression, Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men. All right, it's repetitive of verse sixteen. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So where you see uh, in. Act of righteousness. That is the word dikaioma. Through one dikaioma, there resulted justification of life to all men. So here, it means a righteous act. And the righteous act is Christ's sacrifice. So we have in verse 16 that we're justified. We have in verse 18 that through the act of Christ we're justified. And so... This is the good news. This is the gospel. Justification is the requirement of the law, and through Christ we have been justified. Now, Paul talks about walking by means of the Spirit. Not all believers do that. We don't do it all the time. But we're made to. Now, we We don't have a choice. This is what Paul's trying to tell us. He's saying, look, you don't have a choice. You have to live this way. What's your motivation? Rest assured that you never had a choice. You never had a choice. This was put on you. And where you're going to get your motivation to do it is to be completely convinced of who you are. Who you are is incredible. The, The greatest creation of God. Even angels are our servants. This is the... Taking us from enemies of God condemned to death and making us what he made us through Christ is the greatest promotion in all of human history. And what we possess, this is what we have to know and constantly remind ourselves and pray about it day in and day out to know what we are in Christ Jesus. And and so go back to Romans 3. I want to see this, this a great passage. Romans 3.21 is where you have a... It's a death, a Greek little uh, article. It means but. And so right up from Romans 1.1 to Romans 3.20 is everything that's wrong with the human race. Jew and Gentile are sin... Our selfishness, our lust, our inability to do anything is all there in black and white in Romans 1.1 to 3.20. And then you have a but. But now, in fact, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, meaning Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So I, I hope we can see how important these passages that are about our salvation in our faith in Christ were completely justified. Uh, Propitiation means that God's justice is satisfied, in uh, verse 25, and it's through his blood, through faith. Paul will expound upon this in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and using Abraham as an example. And Paul will point out that the old way of the law is no longer uh, our authority, but now we have something else. In this astounding statement, God has declared us righteous on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. He's pronounced us not guilty in a court of law, despite our sin and our guilt. There was nothing that anyone could do uh, that would God would serve as a basis of justification for any single human being. Only in Christ, in, in his sacrifice, was it possible. So... Getting back to Sunday's message, if therefore we're not under the law of Moses, what are we under? Uh, Or are we under anything? Are we lawless? How does the new humanity, for the first time not under the law, how are we supposed to live? And this began at Pentecost. When the church began, where they were... uh, Filled with the Spirit, the new creation in Christ, justified, does not live under the law. And it made me think of uh, this quote by James Madison, written many years ago, concerning the Constitution. James Madison wrote, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In other words, Madison is saying that, look, if we we're all angelic, we don't need government. We're all going to do the right thing. And if angels were in government, we wouldn't need checks and balances and separation of powers, which we definitely need. Uh, but we're not angels. Uh, but what about us in the church? <laughs> are you an, You're not an angel either, are you? Neither am I but still we're not under the law here so what is this life that we've been given and you know the key here again is the gospel uh, the promise to Israel long ago in Ezekiel 36:27 the age of the holy spirit would be fulfilled this does not mean that it's not going to happen in the millennial reign at the second coming of Christ it is but it happened here first in the church so it's partially fulfilled, not all fulfilled. and That's another one. That's my opinion. There are those who differ in that opinion. Anyway, but at least we know we're filled with the Spirit, right? Or I should say that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-seven: I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Nothing about that. Now, in the millennial reign, it, is everybody going to walk in the statutes of Christ? I mean, they're going to be sinless. And that's not the case. But what is... He said, I'm going to cause you... You know, it's not so much I'm going to force you as that I'm going to empower you to fulfill the requirements that I demand. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe, observe my ordinance. Ordinance is what? It's a righteous requirement. So... If I'm not under the law, can I do what I please? Well, we get back to this title for the Holy Spirit, which was at Romans eight one. He's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, this is what we live by. And by this, well... No, we can't do whatever the heck we want. We, we are under. The Spirit is given to us so that we live the life of Christ Jesus, just like Him. And yeah you know, what? And if we could boil it down to one thing, this it might be oversimplified, but I'm, I'm one who likes simplicity. Uh, go to First Corinthians 9, last passage. It's a bit simplified, but simple is good, I think, especially when we're after 40-something minutes of learning. That... Uh, by being not under the law of Moses, we have the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is the gospel. Why is the law of Christ the gospel? Because Christ is the gospel. The good news is him. Right? Paul Paul writes about in Ephesians, Ephesians 3 writes about the mystery, and this mystery which no one knew before but now has come into the world and is made known is Christ. And so the gospel is Christ. He's the good news. So Notice what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen. 19. And he's speaking here about his ministry and his desire for the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. See, I'm free from all men. I'm not under law. But I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win the more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, he means here, he's not going to make an issue out of it. If you know he's going to wash his hands a certain way, fine. He's going to eat certain foods, fine. He's not going to make an issue out of it because he's going to relate the gospel to them. But notice how he says, I'm not under the law. But verse 21, to those who are without law, would be Gentiles, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Like, Paul, are you confused? It almost sounds like he is. <laughs> He's obviously not. The So who? what would he mean by, I'm going to become as not under the law? Well, you see, there was a great contention between Jews and Gentiles where Gentiles would, you know, they had their own lifestyle that wasn't of the law and they didn't wash certain ways and eat certain foods they didn't you know pray certain prayers and this would make the jews very angry and then the gentiles would get angry at the jews because and i mean in the church because they were so tight shirt you know you take that starch out of your shirt you know that kind of you know i'm not under the law But Paul says here, look, when I'm around those who are without the law, I'm not making an issue out of what they eat, how they wash, and stuff like that. But, he says, I'm not lawless. And this is great key here to our understanding. We're not under the law, but Paul says, I am under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without the law. Certainly, the law of Christ isn't the Mosaic law, because he's saying here, I don't make an issue out of the Mosaic law with the Gentiles, but I am under a law. And the law is Christ. So in verse 22: To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that I may, by all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of what? The good news, the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So notice what his motivation is. This is how I deal with people. It's not by law, but it's by gospel. My desire is to get the unbeliever to believe the gospel to make it clear. As he said, I might save some. Even to the believer, I'm, my ministry is to get them to understand the gospel even more. So when we think about it, Christ being the gospel, that he's the good news. Christ is the good news. in every aspect of that truth, which is his incarnation, his ministry, actually before his incarnation, his God the Son in eternity past, his incarnation, his ministry, his compassion, his zeal, His passion, his cross, and his resurrection all dictate to our manner of life in all situations. Because why? Because the Spirit is the life of Christ. And Christ came to save. And Paul is all things to all men because Paul, he doesn't want to impress people. He's not trying to make friends. He's trying to make the issue the gospel. And so Paul's motivation, his law, is the gospel. And so is it ours. Now, if if what we cared about was that person, with with that person in front of me, was that they understood the gospel or understood it more, that would limit, you know, what I do, what I say. That would guide my behavior. And even, you know, like, how I behave in front of people. If I'm speaking, if I'm one who says, well, look, I have the gospel message and I live sinfully, and there's a conflict between what I'm doing and what I'm saying, and if I cared about the gospel, then I wouldn't do that. And I would be greatly motivated not to do that. I mean, see, so this motivation, where the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is what He's revealing to us. The children of God speak the gospel. The children of God invite others by means of the gospel. The children of God become weak to the weak, and without law, to those without law, law, to those who have law, whatever, they don't make an issue out of people's um, cultures or, or behaviors in terms of, you know, having it not interfere with the clarity of the gospel. And so, if I wanted my life to be a living gospel, a living, walking gospel, meaning to live is Christ. So remember Paul writes that in Philippians 1, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If that's true, then I've really found the reason why I've found the reason that's going to motivate me to be someone who lives holy. It's not to impress people. That's a false motivation. It, it, other people are never good motivation. It, it's it's not to gain accolades in the church. I guess that's impressing people. It's not to you know I want rewards in heaven. I'm you know I think it's essentially about me. I want crowns. I want stuff for me. That's a false motivation. But the true motivation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that's my motivation, then I will have the. I won't want to live any other way. And that's what uh, Paul here makes an issue out of that in Romans chapter 8. When we fill ourselves with divine things, the Spirit fills us to accomplish what those things should look like in our lives. Our thoughts, our truths, our virtues, everything. It's a life that looks like Christ. And to be filled with all the things that we're told to be filled with. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for the truth of your gospel. How it, in and of itself, is so packed with truths truths that uh, should set us free, but also to provide us motivation to live in a manner that would speak the gospel clearly to others, to be witnesses, to be living epistles, to be living, walking gospels. And so, Father, as you convince us that we are your children through your spirit, we become more convinced and motivated on the manner of life that we have to live. And we thank you, Father, because it's all by grace and through faith. And we pray, Father, that um, that truth would be impressed upon all who hear. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.